pretending that everything's okay. The game's up. The curtain's been pulled back. It's been exposed. You can't deny that the world is broken, that it's sinful, uh, that it, it's evil. It's just been thrust in your face. So, so what do you do with that? Like well, when those kind of events happen? I'm sure we experience them. It may not be that event. It might be something else. Uh, what do you do with it? Uh, most of us try to forget about it as soon as possible. Right? The, the kind of head in the sand approach. We want to get on with our lives uh, as quickly as we can. Uh, so we just try not to think about it too much. Get back to thinking about Melbourne being the most livable city in the world. For the most part, it's really good. Right? But for some of you here, uh, these, kind of events, uh, these kind of events really stay with you. Either they gnaw away at you, they, they eat away, and uh, over time you can start to feel a bit disillusioned. You feel discouraged perhaps, uh, you feel even in a state of despair at what our world is like. And in the midst of that, uh, you might start to notice a longing. Just a, just a little longing, maybe a big one. Well, a longing for something different. What do you long for? You long uh, for a community a world, a humanity that is genuinely transformed. That's what you want. A community uh, that is genuinely living differently. Where all the brokenness and evil and sin in this world uh, is being put back together. Like if this world is like, uh, was like a crystal vase and it was dropped on the ground... That's why I have the, the thing. I can move away, right? But if it's a crystal vase that was just dropped on the, va- on the ground, uh, who's, who's putting it all back together? Like we, we long for a world, for a community, uh, for a humanity where that's happening, where wholeness and healing is happening. That's what we long for. Uh, and if you've noticed that kind of longing in your heart, uh, then you should come along to this church this year uh, because in 17 sermons in two different chunks, we're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount And it really is his vision for that transformed community, for the new humanity that God is creating in his incredible grace and mercy. This new community uh, in whom and through whom God is setting everything right. That's us. That's the church. God is setting everything right in this world, in and through us. It's in this community. It's the community that all of us long for. So that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're headed. And this week, what I want to do uh, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount is zoom out uh, so we can get a sense of the big picture of the the whole sermon. Uh, So then I I think it's only when we can see the big picture uh, that we'll be able to understand how we should read these blessings in in verses 1 to 12. We're going to spend two weeks on this passage, uh, or next week we'll tack on verses uh, 13 to 16 as well. Uh, But I want us to spend this week really nailing down some key posts on this big picture. It's really important because lots of us think that we know the Sermon on the Mount. And we think that because we've, lots of the sayings are familiar. You know, we've heard lots of little bits, they've, they've come into our culture in different ways, uh, but we've really got no idea how it all fits together. But there is actually a unity here uh, to the whole sermon. So that's what I want to do today. Uh, and so you can see I've got a series of questions we're going to answer. Uh, the first question, which you should really ask about any sermon, uh, is what's the big idea? Well, what's the main idea in Jesus' sermon? It's not just a random collection of sayings, there's some unity. Uh, What's the main idea? Well, it's right there in today's passage. If you've got the the Bible passage there in front of you, uh, it's there in uh, the first and last blessing. Have a look at verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs 
uh, is the kingdom of heaven. And, and then down in verse 10, uh, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that right there is the main idea. The kingdom of heaven. It's the main idea of Jesus' sermon. It's the main idea of these blessings. It's the main idea of Matthew's whole gospel, right? The kingdom of heaven is here. It's come near uh, and you've got to respond to that. I think this is Matthew's way of speaking about the kingdom of God. So if you've got an actual Bible open, which I recommend, uh, you might want to flick back to Matthew chapter 4, just one chapter back. Uh, If you look back there at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17... Uh, you'll see that Jesus is starting his public ministry. Uh, This is the very beginning. Uh, And he starts his ministry by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? You see those same words, the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus saying right at the start of his ministry? Well, he's saying that in his coming uh, as God's king, uh, that there's a new kingdom breaking into the world. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is starting his ministry by calling people to turn away from their old life. They've got to repent of the life where they were living as if they were king. If your life is like a car, all of us by default think that we deserve to be in control of our lives. Like our hands are on the steering wheel and we're kind of white knuckling on that wheel because we're determined to be in control. But Jesus says, repent of that. Or you've got to turn away from living under your rule, under your control, and you've got to live your life under God's rule, uh, under his control, uh, in this kingdom of heaven. Uh, so the question at the end of chapter 4 is, what does it actually look like to live under God's rule? That's the context here. Right? What does it look like to live as a citizen, not of this world primarily, but of the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus answers that question in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 to 7, right? And the answer, uh, in a nutshell, is that people living under God's rule are radically different. Radically different. Uh, This uh, is a countercultural community. That's what it looks like to live under God's rule. In fact, uh, really, the key verse for this whole sermon, uh, you could nail it down to Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Uh, where Jesus says, do not be like them. That's really a summary uh, of the whole Sermon on the Mount, right? As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are to be radically different. Uh, On the one hand, uh, we're to be different, uh, at least uh, to some of the traits of the mainstream religious community. Because Jesus, throughout his sermon, is really quite scathing in his critique of the Jewish leaders, right? He looks at their lives and he says, you guys are self-righteous, you're hypocritical, uh, you're proud uh, in your attitude to prayer, to giving, to fasting, to to lots of aspects of living as God's people. So Jesus says, do not be like them. The Sermon on the Mount is not a call to be more religious, And some of you probably like that because you don't like religion very much. You're someone perhaps who wants to throw off the shackles of religion. You want to be known, you want to be seen as someone who's more open to progressive ways of thinking. You want to be someone who rebels against the institution. That's kind of part of who you are. And Jesus says, yeah, there's something about that that's right. But of course, he also says throughout his sermon, uh, don't be like those irreligious people. 
the non-Jews, the, the Gentiles, those people who've rejected the God of the Bible to worship and pray and live in whatever way they choose. So the main idea of Jesus' sermon is to live out your citizenship as members of the kingdom of heaven. That's the big idea, live out your citizenship as members of the kingdom of heaven, this countercultural community. Don't be like the mainstream religious community, at least in some of those traits. And don't be like the rebellious, irreligious community. Don't simply follow those crowds. Be a community that is genuinely transformed by the good news of God's kingdom. And if you do that, you'll be radically different. So that's the big idea, I think. It's all about the kingdom of heaven and how that transforms how Christians live. What's the setting of Jesus' sermon? Like, where, where, where is it happening? Why is that important? Uh, have a look at verses 1 and 2 in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Uh, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Right, once again, if you flip back to, to the very end of chapter 4, uh, you'll see there that there's a short summary of Jesus' ministry. Uh, it's very exciting. Uh, news about Jesus is spreading. People are being healed. People are being taught. Uh, crowds are flocking to Jesus from everywhere. Uh, so here, well, we're told Jesus sees those crowds and he finds a suitable spot to teach them, right right here on the side of a mountain. Uh, and it's clear from uh, verse 2 uh, that the main audience for Jesus' sermon uh, is his disciples. You see it there, that his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Right, so Jesus is explaining to his disciples, this is what it looks like to live as the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but what's also clear is that as he unpacks that, uh, there are a whole lot of crowds listening in. Uh, and actually, this is exactly how we uh, approach our Sunday services here as Darabin Friends. I mean, this is a bit of a side note, uh, but maybe it's of use. Right? I prepare my sermon, I preach my sermon, uh, primarily to teach and feed and inspire uh, those of you here who are already Christians. That's, that's my main game, right? those of you who are, who are disciples of Jesus. But of course, I always assume and pray and really hope that there's lots of people here who aren't Christians. That's our prayer. We want you to be here, or we want people who aren't Christians to be here to listen in. And perhaps that's you today. You're not sure, am I a Christian, am I not? I don't know. You might be curious or sceptical or searching or doubting, but for whatever reason, you're here. And you're happy to listen in at least for this day. And I want you to know that you're really welcome. You're very welcome. We're happy for anyone to be here who wants to explore who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Or you might just be in the crowd listening in. That's great. So on one level, we've got these, uh, these two audiences here. Right? Jesus' disciples, the crowd's listening in. And, and in a sense, Jesus simply goes up this mountain uh, because it's a good spot to teach people. Like it's a big crowd, he needs to find a suitable kind of amphitheatre. Here it is, it's great. Uh, but it's actually, it's a bit more than that. Uh, because throughout uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, one of the things he wants to show us is how Jesus continues and fulfils uh, the whole story of the Old Testament. Uh, that's a big deal for Matthew. Uh, in particular, he's showing us three things about who Jesus is. You can write these down if you like, if it's useful. Uh, three things about who Jesus is. If you're reading Matthew's Gospel, first, he wants to show us uh, that Jesus is God's King. Uh, Jesus is, is the Messiah, uh, he's God's promised King, 
Uh, he's a descendant of the line of David. That's the first thing. Uh, second, he's showing us uh, that Jesus uh, is Emmanuel, God with us. Well, that's in Matthew 1, 23. He's not just God's king. He's Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God with us. And the third thing he's showing us uh, is that Jesus is the ultimate authoritative teacher, if you like. He's, he's the greatest prophet the world has ever known, much greater than Moses. Right? So those are really the three things. Right? Jesus is God's king. Uh, he's God with us. And he's the ultimate teacher, uh, greater than Moses. Right? And it's that third strand that explains why Jesus is going up this mountain. At least one of the explanations, right? Because Jesus is showing us that just, that just as Moses went up a mountain, you might remember Mount Sinai, uh, he's going up a mountain. But of course, as the ultimate teacher, the one who's greater than Moses, Jesus is going to speak with unique authority. Unique authority. We'll see that throughout the sermon. And you, you might know, just as God used Moses to create uh, the people of Israel, uh, in Jesus, God's creating a, a new people. Uh, a people who continue and fulfil uh, the whole story of Israel in the Old Testament. And so if you read Matthew chapters 1 to 4, which would be useful context, uh, you'll see that uh, Jesus goes down to Egypt, like Israel. Uh, Jesus uh, is baptised in the Jordan. He comes back into the promised land. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus selects 12 apostles to, to mirror, in some sense, the 12 tribes of Israel. Right, now Jesus is going up this mountain to deliver uh, his true interpretation of God's law, his vision, if you like, uh, for how God's people should live as citizens of his kingdom. Right, so it's not just that Jesus finds a mountain, there's a large crowd, oh, this is a great place to teach people. Right? Matthew's actually telling us something really significant about who Jesus is. If you want to hear uh, the ultimate words from God, you have to listen to Jesus. He's the greatest prophet. He's the one who brings the definitive words uh, from God uh, for how God's people should live. Uh, but before Jesus uh, unpacks the specifics of how we should live, uh, he actually wants us to know how fortunate uh, we are, how fortunate his disciples are uh, to be members of God's kingdom. And that's what these first 12 verses are really about, how blessed they are, how fortunate they are. And next week we're going to look at each of the character traits connected with these blessings in a bit more detail. But for today, I want you to be clear on three things about these blessings. The first is on how these blessings fit together as a whole. The second is on how we should understand these blessings. And the third is on what's the purpose of these blessings. So three things. The first, how do these blessings fit together? Really useful if you've got these blessings on front of you on paper. Right, you'll notice in verse 3 and verse 10, uh, from verse 3 to 10, there are these eight different blessings. Uh, but, uh, like you might say, yeah, but there's another blessed in verse 11. Yeah, but that, that's really just an expansion of verse 10. So there's really eight main blessings. Uh, sometimes they're called beatitudes. That's from the Latin word for blessed. Uh, but I'll just call them blessings, right? Uh, and you'll see uh, that uh, the first and last blessings both mention the kingdom of heaven. I've talked about that. Uh, and their function here is to assure the disciples that, uh, that they are uh, already citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You see that there? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's an assurance in verses 3 and 10. 
And in between those two assurances, uh, there are six promises. Uh, You'll be comforted, you'll inherit the earth, you'll be filled, you'll be shown mercy, you'll see God, uh, you'll be called children of God. So we've got eight blessings, uh, which are really two assurances uh, about the present uh, and six promises about the future. These are assurances and promises for anyone who's a disciple of Jesus. Uh, So what does that mean for how we should understand these blessings? Uh, Well, first, uh, by kind of sandwiching these six promises in between these two assurances, uh, Jesus is saying that these six promises are absolutely certain. Uh, if you're a citizen of God's kingdom. There's no doubt about it. If you're a citizen of God's kingdom, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you will be comforted, uh, you'll inherit the earth, you'll be filled, you'll be shown mercy, uh, you'll see God, you'll be called a child of God. All those things are absolutely rock solid, certain. No doubt. Because if you're a disciple of uh, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is already yours. Verse 3, verse 10. And that leads to the second thing about how we should understand these blessings, right? Because by putting these assurances together with these promises, Jesus is telling us that in his teaching, in his healing, in his miracles, that the kingdom of heaven is already here. The power of God's kingdom is already on the move in the world. It's at work. And these disciples, those disciples sitting there in front of him, they've already experienced it. They've been caught up in the kingdom of God already. They're already tasting and experiencing the the blessings of the kingdom. But they're not enjoying all the blessings. They're tasting them, but not enjoying all of them. That's why there's a promise of more. Six promises, the fullness of God's kingdom. And that's why in chapter 6, what does Jesus teach his disciples to, to pray? That the kingdom of heaven would come on earth as it is in heaven, that the fullness of God's kingdom would come, not just these tastes that they're experiencing now. Right? This whole concept uh, is what some of you may have heard called, right? I'm going to throw a phrase out there, uh, the now and not yet of God's kingdom. Well, what does that mean? It means that right now uh, we enjoy little tastes of God's kingdom. Right? You turn up at the big function, uh, you walk in, you pick up an appetizer. It's a taste. It's a little mouthful, right? But you hope that the banquet's coming. That's what the kingdom of God's like, right? And now we experience little tastes, little appetizers of the kingdom. Uh, But the promise is that the fullness, uh, the full heavenly banquet is on its way. Uh, That's the now and not yet uh, of God's kingdom, all right? So so what does all that mean uh, for how we should understand these blessings? I am getting somewhere, right? Uh, So uh, let's, let's look at some of the specific blessings here. Uh, Have a look at verse 4. Jesus says that uh, people who mourn will be comforted. Now, in one sense, uh, that's a future thing. That's what we look forward to. In in Revelation 21, we're told that that when the kingdom of heaven comes uh, in all its fullness, God will wipe away every tear and there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. It's a future thing. It's the ultimate comfort. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a citizen of the kingdom, that's what you look forward to. Ultimate comfort for those who mourn. But in verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Right? If you suffer for being a Christian, uh, your ultimate reward is in heaven. That, that's your ultimate comfort, your ultimate release. Uh, but somehow Jesus says that you can rejoice and be glad now. Even in the midst of suffering, when you're persecuted, when people are saying evil about you, you can rejoice and be glad. How is that? It's because not all the comfort of the kingdom of heaven is for the new heavens and new earth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 uh, that we can know the God of all comfort right now. The God who comforts us in all our troubles. So you see these two stages, right? You look forward to your ultimate comfort, but you get a taste of it now. A wonderful taste. Or what about verse 9? Have a look at verse 9. Jesus says, uh, the peacemakers uh, will be called children of God. And now some of you might know, there's a chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 23, and Paul says there uh, that as we live as Christians in this broken world, uh, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for what? For our adoption uh, to sonship. That's interesting, right? There's a sense in which if you're a Christian, uh, if you're a child of God, uh, you have to wait to enjoy the full blessings of being a child of God. That there's a future inheritance that you don't get to enjoy yet. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, right? He's not saying that you can't be God's child now. Like He's not saying that, that it's all a future thing. But if you read it on face value, maybe that's what you might think. But I know that because just a few verses later, uh, look at what Jesus says uh, in verse, uh, what is it, verse 15? Uh, Let your light shine, uh, so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Glorify your Father in heaven. You're not waiting until eternity to be called a child of God. God is your Father now. You don't have to earn that status by being a brilliant peacemaker. It's a gracious, it's a wonderful gift of God. But you do have to wait to enjoy the fullness of being a child of God, your full inheritance. Those are just a couple of examples of how this idea affects how you read these blessings. And you might think that that's way too much detail. You know, scholars can write their books about God's kingdom. Aaron can go on about it. What difference does it make for me? Uh, well, let me tell you, I wouldn't have gone into all that detail. I, I know you're maybe a bit heavy, uh, but I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have a good reason. And this is the reason. I think if you don't understand uh, these blessings and the Sermon on the Mount in, in this framework, you'll never understand the purpose. I, I just don't think you will. You will not understand the purpose of these blessings. They're, they're notoriously misunderstood. And you won't understand the Sermon on the Mount. That's why it's so crucial. I'm spending a whole week on it, right? For example, uh, how would you understand, have a look at verse 7. How would you understand verse 7 without this understanding that the blessings of God's kingdom are both present and future? Uh, Have a look at that verse there. I think the only way you could read verse 7, if you didn't have this framework, uh, is that God is waiting at the end of the age, right, on judgment day, uh, to see which of us here have been merciful enough to receive his mercy. But isn't that, that's the natural reading, isn't it? So you work really hard to be merciful so you can be welcomed into God's kingdom. So you end up reading all these blessings and in fact Jesus' whole sermon as a set of preconditions that you have to meet 
to be a citizen of God's kingdom. That to, and I just want to avoid that at all costs. Right? We're doing this big series on the Sermon on the Mount. I, I, want you, I don't want you to hear that. I don't, it's not a list of preconditions. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that in his coming, God has entered into the world... And in Matthew, uh, later on in Matthew, uh, he gives this image that, that God is throwing the net of his mercy out into the world. And he's catching, he's catching people up by his mercy into his kingdom. All sorts of people, people of every tribe and language and tongue. God's already doing that. He's on the move in the power of his mercy, in the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking people, pursuing people. Right, so, so it's not that uh, we have to uh, be, work really hard to be merciful so we can earn God's mercy. Uh, it's that we receive God's mercy. He, he pursues us. He calls us. He makes us his. And then we respond to his mercy by being merciful to others. And that's critical to understand. Really critical. Right, you don't have to be uh, merciful enough to receive God's mercy or peaceable enough to be called his child or pure enough to see God face to face? That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not that you have to climb your way up to God through your own good works. Right? The good news is that in Jesus, God has come down to us in his incredible grace and mercy uh, to mercifully seek us and find us and call us. Like maybe it's easier to get your head around it if you think about uh, back in chapter 4. This is what Jesus is doing, right? Andrew and Peter had no interest in following Jesus. It's not like they woke up and they were like, oh, we really want to follow Jesus. Jesus took the initiative. Jesus came to them. He chose them. He called them. And they were moved by his mercy and they followed him. The same for James and John. Right? Jesus took the initiative. Right? God's powerful mercy is at work in the world. The kingdom of God has broken in. And Jesus is seeking and saving those who are lost. And that's what's happening today. Even this day, perhaps. God, in his mercy, is opening people's eyes to see who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. It's, it's all his work. And we see that in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, verse 17, Peter has this amazing revelation of who Jesus is. Right? He confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember those strands of what Matthew's trying to show us? He gets it, right? He says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And what does Jesus say? He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, what's interesting, why is it that Peter is blessed? It's not because he was clever enough to work out who Jesus is. Look at it here. Jesus says, uh, he's blessed not because this was revealed to you by flesh and blood, right? It's not Peter's doing but because it was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. You see, God's not sitting back testing you to see if you're clever enough to work out who Jesus is. That's not what God's doing at the end of the age. You know, he's not testing to see if you're good enough for his kingdom. God, in his mercy, is choosing and pursuing and calling his people. He's opening our eyes so we can see who Jesus is and follow him. So what does that mean for, for how we read these verses? Well, in that framework, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a Christian, these verses aren't preconditions that you have to meet. Uh, they're a celebration. 
they're a celebration of who you are and who you're going to become more and more, not because of how good you are, but because of God's mercy. God God has made you and he is making you into this kind of person, a person who lives under his favour and blessing and approval. We're going to talk about that next week. The kingdom of heaven is yours, not because of you, but because of God's amazing mercy. Right? It's a celebration, right? And imagine uh, that you're one of the people listening in here. Right? You're in the crowd. Uh, and you can hear Jesus saying to his disciples, you are so blessed. Like, do, 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 he's saying, do you get how blessed you are? You, you're experiencing the blessings of the kingdom of heaven that's breaking in in my coming. Can you believe it? You're citizens of kingdom. You're so blessed. Uh, imagine you're overhearing that. And maybe you're, you feel like you're overhearing that today. In a sense, listening in to, to me talking to the, those of the uh, those of the people here who are Christians, uh, and saying uh, how blessed we are to be Christians, not because we're better than anyone else, but because God is incredibly merciful. Right? How is it if you're in the crowd back then? If you're in the crowd today, how is it that you respond to those words? How do you, how do you hear them? Well, you can't really hear them as a celebration of who you are, can you? Because you're not a Christian yet. Like that, I, mean, I hope that's not too blunt, but that's what, like Jesus is talking to his disciples. Oh, but I just sure hope you hear them as an invitation. Not a celebration, but they're an invitation. Right, an invitation to receive God's mercy. An invitation to, to become a citizen of his kingdom. Uh, to hear these same words about you, that you are blessed, that you're approved of by God, that you're living under his favour, that he loves you, you're his child. You can hear these same assurances that the kingdom of heaven is yours, that you're tasting it, that you're experiencing it, and you have these same promises. I hope you hear that invitation. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, yeah, but, but it's not like Jesus is coming up to me and calling me like uh, he did with those disciples. You know, perhaps if he did that, I might respond. I might kind of take up this invitation. And that's true. Jesus is not here today. But you shouldn't feel shortchanged by that. Because the truth is you have a much greater and clearer demonstration of God's mercy than anyone in this crowd. Much greater, much clearer. Because the only reason any of us can share in the blessings of God's kingdom is because in his his amazing mercy, uh, the Lord Jesus, right, the one, we'll explore this more next week, right, but the one who was rich in spirit, uh, the one... Uh, who had no sin to mourn over, uh, the one who was completely pure, the one who had every right to, to see the glory of his Father face to face. Right, that's Jesus. That Jesus died the death that we deserve to die. He died your death, the death of people who are poor in spirit and who have sin to mourn over and have impure hearts. He died our death so that we can share in the blessings of God's kingdom, right? That right there is the greatest and clearest demonstration of God's mercy. So if you're hearing this invitation today, I'd just say, why don't you pray that God would soften your heart to his merciful invitation? So two purposes for these blessings. Uh, For those of you here who are Christians, you're a disciple of Jesus, I hope you hear these verses as a celebration. That's what they are. They're celebrating uh, who we are, uh, who we're becoming because of God's mercy. The kingdom of heaven is ours 
We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're, we're, we're children of God. We're a part of God's countercultural community. The community uh, in whom and through whom God's putting the pieces of this world back together. God is incredible. God, Jesus is celebrating that. The power of God's mercy at work in the lives of these disciples. The power of God's mercy at work in your life if you're a Christian. So that's the first thing. It's a celebration. Uh, but if you're here uh, and you're listening in, uh, it's an invitation. An invitation to receive God's mercy and to become a citizen of his kingdom, to become a child of God. It's a night to share in the blessings of God's kingdom both now and forever. And to be part of the community actually that you've always longed for. A genuinely distinctive community. One that's not kind of irreligious or just religious, but one in which God is genuinely transforming people and transforming the world. Uh, to create the world that all of us long for. Uh, let me pray. Our gracious Father, please uh, give, keep giving me wisdom as we kind of undertake this massive uh, sermon that Jesus gave. I pray this day that uh, you have made it clear uh, to each one here uh, how they can read this whole sermon uh, faithfully and understand it, its purpose, and particularly these blessings, Lord. Uh, we praise you for your incredible grace and mercy your powerful mercy that you seek us, you call us, you, you open our eyes to see who Jesus is, you, you make us your own as citizens of your kingdom. Uh, we, we just, uh, we're blown away by uh, how you've done this work in our lives. And I do pray for those of you here today, uh, uh, for those of the people here today who, in a sense, are listening in and exploring uh, who the Lord Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And I pray that they'd hear these words this day as a, as a great invitation to respond to your great and, and clear demonstration of mercy in the death of our Lord Jesus on the cross, uh, that their eyes would see clearly who he is and what he's done, and that they'd become a part of your kingdom uh, and join us uh, as a part of this community that you're creating, this new humanity. Uh, for Jesus' glory we pray. Amen.